0: Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
1: Howdy, folks! Welcome back to another episode of Yolitics. I hope it's not too echoey in here. I'm in the I'm in the kitchen. I'm I'm pulling a a wheeler. Oh, eating uh, eating while uh, on a Zoom. Yeah, I'm, I'm slamming some some chips because I'm starving. And if I feel like pound a beer here, then I'm going to be talking some crazy stuff in <laughs> <on> this podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah,
2: you know, that, it'll hit your stomach with nothing in there. That's never a good outcome, right? right. Uh, and and you know what? You're totally forgiven. I don't know how many bowls of cereal I have consumed <laughs> here in front of you. And I know it's not a pretty eating exercise either, because usually, you know, I just stand over the sink and eat, and so I just kind of shovel it in, and you, I don't you stand really over the
1: sink. Why <laughs>
2: are you like dropping stuff everywhere? Because like a wild animal? It falls.
1: See, our, our our listener doesn't doesn't realize that you know we can see each other on the Zoom calls <laughs> here, and and Wheeler is always. Pounding a bowl of cereal. What's your favorite cereal? What do you like? Lucky charms? Brought no,
2: mini I, I don't like a lot of sugar in it. And so I'll go. Th- this is grape the most nuts? boring ever. No, I used, I used to do grape nuts a lot. Uh, most boring ever. I have basically the knockoff uh, store version of uh, Cheerios. I think it's called toasted oats. that don't have any sugar or barely any sugar in it. But,
1: but Cheerios is pretty cheap as is. Why, why are you going for the knockoff version of Cheerios? I mean, it's, it's not a <laughs> fancy cereal.
2: I don't know. I guess I'm cheap. I don't know. Um, and then sometimes I get really wild and do brand flakes. Oh, yeah, risque. Yeah. Huh? Scandalous. Yeah. Those are on the crazy days. But yeah, yeah you eat it over the sink. You don't, you don't do that? Dude, I don't know anybody that does that. I, mean, I can't like tell I'm- you how many times I have eaten. This is because I'm always so rushed, okay? So I'll do lunch this way too or dinner sometimes if I'm in a huge rush. You'll eat I, dinner over the sink? Yes, I will eat dinner over the <laughs> sink and sometimes... <laughs> Like with my hand, like I have stuff in my hands and I'm just like cramming it in my mouth so I can hurry up and get done. And whatever falls, falls, it falls in the sink. It's no big deal. You don't have to clean up. You just, you know, move You're on. You're a pig, man. What the hell are you it's, doing? It's, it's what life has done to me. I am that rushed. So hopefully, oh our, hopefully our boss is listening as usual and look at what has become of me because I'm always working so hard. Exactly. That's all I can say.
1: Um, what are you drinking? Your
0: what are you I, drinking at, today, you know what? I'm
1: excited about this, man. I, I'm excited about this episode, but I'm excited about this beer, too. This is called the, uh, the Texas Troubadour. Oh, it's I like a, that. It's a Pilsner. Okay. It's from Wild Acre Brewing Company uh, over in Fort Worth. And uh, it says, live and loud and play hard for the Troubadour. 5.7% uh, alcohol per volume, 13th floor music. I'm not sure what the rest of it is. I'm sure we'll have a listener tell us that uh, I'm missing the bigger picture on this thing. But look, let's, <laughs> let's try it out here. Let's see what this Pilsner's like.
2: Uh, I'm going to have to try that uh, because I like Pilsners and I just I like the word Troubadour, uh, to be honest. That's How is easy. it?
1: Yeah, it's an easy beer. I like that one.
2: I like that's that. Good. Texas. Uh, I'm troubadour. excited about uh, what I'm having today, too, because I've returned to Texas beers now uh, after last week. Uh, and this is the last in a series of the fridge cleanout beers. Uh, it was in the back of the fridge. And yes, you read it right. I just held it, it up to the camera there. This is the, um, it's an IPA. That's why it sat in the back of the fridge. It's a low calorie. It's a low calorie. Gosh, you're quick. I barely held it up there. It is a.
1: This is why. Just make an effort. Just make an effort for this podcast. (laughs) This is why.
2: This is why why it sat in the back of the fridge. I'm still doing the fridge clean out. It's ending today. Uh, And whatever, you know, some elf that puts these things in my fridge put in a low calorie. (laughs) Hop skinny, they call it low calorie IPA. It is um, 95 calories and only four carbs. It's made in Dallas at Community Beer Company. Well, this is what I'm having. I'm not, you know, I haven't been looking forward to it, but you know, it may surprise because my 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 bar is low for IPAs in general.
1: And and don't drink it. You're not doing this podcast over the sink, are you? I'm not. Okay, (laughs) because I'm not eating. We'll have to get Mrs. Wheeler a uh, a beer list when she makes her next uh, store run.
2: Or I'm just gonna have to go do it myself. That's what I need to do so I can pick out a troubadour this time. Right. Um, okay. Well, so let's... we are close. Uh, you know, I think we're still in early voting now. We're getting yeah. close to this very off year uh, election. There's some, uh, you know, uh, different proposals on the ballot for you know the Texas Constitution. There's some very local races on there. Um, And Jason, you know, it's always kind of sad, like I always try to show up on these years, especially because it's kind of sad when you see the vote totals in a year like this. It's so bad. It's so low. So many of our decisions uh, on how we spend a lot of money, like for schools and so forth. So many decisions on constitutional changes. They're made in these years by a very relative few Texans.
1: And our listener is saying, what are you talking about? Early voting. Is there an election coming up? Yes, there is an election. It's a week from uh, a week from today as we do this here. It's going to be on November the 2nd. Mm-hmm. Early voting is underway. It's a statewide election. These are the constitutional amendments. There are eight of them out there. Uh, you can run through them. You know, some of these are, are, are hot button issues. A couple of them are hot button issues. Uh, I, I think the most controversial maybe is the one uh, that voters can can say yes or no to. Uh, And that is um, allowing people to go to church all the time, regardless of whether there's an emergency like in the pandemic. This, of course, is born out of the pandemic when when um, people were not able to gather Uh, the some some counties, I believe Dallas County is one of them, said that uh, you can't go to church either because that might be a breeding ground for the virus. Now, uh, the legislature has made that uh, or wants to make it state law with a constitutional amendment if voters pass it next Tuesday.
2: And chances are that uh, those handful of voters who will show up are going to be spending a lot of your money on these bond issues with school districts or picking your local leaders. So, you know, try to get out there and vote if you can. Now, we will expect, though, that turnout is going to be much higher for next year's midterm elections Mm -hmm. there's a lot at stake there and one of the things that drives it and that i think is going to drive it especially next year jason is that we have this docket in front of the Supreme Court of the United States this year, uh, where they are really—I mean, they're 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 biting into some meaty issues here. A lot of these social issues that really divide this country, and I think that that is sort of the the X factor going into next year's midterms. That you're going to have a lot of people uh, on the left and on the right very energized by what's happening with the Supreme Court with some of these big cases that they've decided to take on. Not the least of which, of course, is SB 8 here in Texas, the new abortion law.
1: And, and you know, November 2nd is the, the election we were talking about. November 1st is when the uh, U.S. Supreme Court said it would hear arguments on the abortion law, the Texas abortion law, which was passed by the legislature, uh, signed into law by Governor Abbott and then immediately challenged uh, by, by a few people. Uh, in court, and the law to refresh your memory—if you don't remember this—the law bans um, abortions after six weeks, once a a uh, fetal heartbeat is detected, which is about six weeks or so. And you know the the progressives, Democrats, liberals are saying this is clearly square in the face of uh, Roe v.ersus Wade, the the mm-hmm. landmark uh, abortion law. So that's coming up. And if you remember the headlines a few days ago, last Friday. The Supreme Court said that it would uh, it would not grant a request. Again, they were asked. It would not grant a request to immediately block the ban. Instead, it's going to take up uh, the oral arguments on the first. And I'm excited about today's guest because you know the word legalese? Uh, <laughs> I do. We use it all the time. And legalese is kind of just that that little phrase that, you know, something's hard to understand and, and difficult to parse through. And I apply it to so much. Uh, especially with legal jargon and trying to figure out exactly uh, what the merits of a case are and what specifically is being argued. Our guest today is great at cutting through this stuff, man.
2: Yeah, his name is Steve Vladek. We've had him here on the program before. Anytime that we're trying to understand complex things uh, that have to do, especially with the Constitution or the Supreme Court, we turn to him. He is a law professor at the University of Texas at Austin. He is a crazy busy guy. So uh, we're happy anytime we can get him on the line. And here we have him today. Steve, thank you so much uh, for doing this with us. Uh, let's just let's dive right in. We've got a lot to talk about.
1: Let's we'll start with this. How significant do you think this Supreme Court term is going to be? And what specifically are you really watching?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a really important term, Jason, one way or the other, um, because it's going to tell us a lot about whether the new middle of the court. um, So Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. You know, I think to some extent, Neil Gorsuch, um, whether they're going to be in any way sort of swayed by the institutional concerns that are increasingly being raised by, especially folks on the left, um, or whether you know, this is the term to take the new conservative majority for a spin um, on you know, gun rights, on abortion, on affirmative action. And you know, those are two very different stories depending upon where we are this time in June.
2: And it certainly is teed up, though, this time, Steve, because we've seen in years past where they've they've decided to take cases and hear cases that really uh, don't seem like they touch as many
0: nerves. This time around, it's like they went for everything. They just loaded up the grocery cart. I think that's right. And I think part of that is a reaction to the lawyers. I mean, I think, you know, once Justice Kennedy retired in 2018 and then when Justice Ginsburg died in 2020, I think a lot of folks saw opportunities um, where the, you know, this was a chance to, to take advantage of the new court. And so, you know, the court can't go out and find these cases, but the lawyers can certainly help bring them to the court. Um, and so, you know, I think as opposed to last term, where some of it was just sort of the lag from the succession of Justice Barrett for Justice Ginsburg, you know, this is the new court a full year in with time enough for these cases to have percolated their way up. So let's
1: break down some of these issues here. Uh, abortion is the is one of the big ones we're talking about here in Texas. Yeah. The case in Mississippi is is a little different, and that one has precedence over the one here. Is that one ahead of the Texas case?
0: So, you know, as as we sit here recording, um, yes, the Mississippi case is set for argument, um, I think, the first week of December. Um, that is a case about a 15-week ban where basically Mississippi has prohibited just about all abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. Um there was always a way for the court to uphold the Mississippi ban without totally getting rid of a constitutional right to abortion, um, just by moving the line from viability to 15 weeks. That would still be an enormous shift, but it would leave intact at least a meaningful period where pregnant folks could still have a constitutional right to an abortion. The Texas case is the direct assault, right? Because the Texas case, there's, there's no universe in which Texas six week ban and Roe and Casey can coexist. I think the question as we're sitting here recording is is the court actually gonna leapfrog over the federal court of appeals, the fifth circuit and get the Texas case up to the court to be argued alongside the Mississippi case, um, which is what the federal government is asking it to do. It's what the providers are asking it to do. And in that case, you know, this now becomes just a, an enormous referendum on not just the future of abortion, Jason, but also on the procedural maneuvers, right, that Texas pulled in the, in the Texas case. Well,
1: let's, yeah, let's talk about those procedural maneuvers j- just for a moment here, too, because that, that's, that's kind of what's what's made so much news on this. I presume the, the maneuvers you're talking about are, are the public
0: enforcement. Is that right? So public enforcement, but but Jason, not just public enforcement at the expense of state enforcement. Um, where, you know, the lawyers have now said in their papers that the point was to make it harder to challenge the eight-week ban. Uh, sorry, the six-week ban. And, you know, I think the, what concerns me is like, listen, folks have strong views about abortion and no one's going to be persuaded to change their mind by anyone like me. Um, the problem is that the Texas law on the procedural side is not abortion specific. Um, and so, whatever we think about the right to an abortion, whether it should even be a right to an abortion, you know, I'm troubled by a precedent where any state legislature can frustrate the enforcement of any constitutional right, maybe one that we like more, or you know, or not. Um, just by pulling the move, Texas has pulled here, and so that's why I think you know the Supreme Court, if it does as it has been asked to do, um, accelerate the Texas cases, argue them alongside the Mississippi case. Um, I think might be thinking the same thing, and mm. might see it, guys, as an opportunity to at least look like they're compromising and look like they're splitting the difference, where they would strike down the Texas law but allow the Mississippi law to remain on the books, and mm. then everyone's pissed off and the court can say look we're not partisan hmm.
2: uh, i wanted to ask you this steve so so this uh new texas abortion law it went into effect september 1st uh it was challenged at the last minute of the supreme court the supreme court decided to go ahead and let it go forward justice sotomayor uh was scathing she said it was flagrant, fr- flagrantly unconstitutional uh then earlier this month we had a federal judge who temporarily blocked that law in texas also saying that it was flagrantly con- unconstitutional, uh, but that didn't last long. It got to the Fifth Cir- Circuit Court of Appeals, which is very conservative, uh, and they allowed the law to uh, stay in effect here. I, I was interested because, uh, you know, it w- when that federal judge decided to block the law uh, it, this judge wrote a 113 page opinion that just laid out the case against this Texas abortion law. But then when it got to the fifth circuit, uh, which reversed that decision, th- that was down to a paragraph. Uh, is that significant? And does that matter now when this goes before the Supreme Court? Because th- the federal judge, it seems like just gave such a roadmap, but then you saw the fifth
0: circuit just giving this tiny paragraph right the the, the federal the, the the district judge went the whole way and the and the Fifth Circuit got off at exit one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's significant I mean, so it sounds worse than it is in practice. Um, and what, what I mean by that is it is not unheard of in the mind run of cases where a district court issues a lengthy opinion, mm-hmm. and the Court of Appeals temporarily, um, blocks that decision without getting too much into the details, like that of itself is not unheard of. I think the reason why it's especially revealing here is because the fifth circuit said more than nothing. <clears throat> um, there's there's like, I think two sentences of analysis in the fifth circuit's order. Mm-hmm. And the fifth circuit said, we're staying Judge Pittman's injunction. We're allowing SBA to go back into effect for the same reasons that we you know didn't allow the providers to block SB8 um, back at the end of August. And that's problematic from my perspective, because actually the district court had spent a whole lot of time explaining why this case was different from those cases, why the fact that it's the federal government who's the plaintiff changes the analysis. And so, you know, I think it probably doesn't do Texas any favors in the Supreme Court that the Fifth Circuit's analysis was so cursory, not because in general that's a bad thing, but because in this context specifically, um, I think it wasn't an effective rebuttal of, of what the district court wrote.
2: I think I was curious there, too, though, does that federal judge's one hundred and thirteen page? I mean, it it was just laid out all the way. Does that make it easier for the lawyers who are arguing for the U.S. government side on this? Can they sort of look at that and go, here's here's how we go about this?
0: Sure. And and I think the key, guys, is, you know, Judge Pittman, um, it's not his first rodeo. I mean, right. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a progressive district judge in the Fifth Circuit, so he knows he knows his audience. And and my sense of his opinion, which, which frankly, like I would love, I would encourage folks who are listening to us, you know, to go read his opinion. Like it's, it's, it's accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think his audience, guys, was not the Fifth Circuit. I think his audience was Brett Kavanaugh. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he knew that one way or the other, whether SB 8 was going to be frozen or allowed to go into place was going to depend upon exactly the moment we're in right now, which is the federal government asking the Supreme Court to vacate the Fifth Circuit stay. Um, It takes five votes to do that. Um, It is clear from the court's earlier ruling in the provider's case that there are at least four votes because of the four justices who dissented there. So Chief Justice Roberts and Justices uh, Breyer, uh, Sotomayor and Kagan. Now the question is, is there a fifth vote? And I think there's no doubt that the reason why Judge Pittman wrote 113 pages was his attempt to find one.
1: And, and you said Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, the, the new Supreme Court justice. Is, is he could he be the new swing vote?
0: You know, if, if only because there's, we're, we're, there aren't that many other options. Um, you know, I think I mean, I think we've seen in a couple of other cases, although not in the abortion context, where he and Justice Barrett um, have been more likely to stay closer to Chief Justice Roberts than the Thomas Alito-Gorsuch camp. there's If there's going to be a fifth vote, I have to think that it's going to be one or both of, right, Kavanaugh and Barrett. And
2: mm-hmm. is this going to happen, do you think, with other uh, controversial issues that are before the court right now, including a, a big guns case that'll uh, happen in this term? Is 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 that the way in uh, that a lot of uh, progressives are seeing is through
0: uh, Kavanaugh? You know, yes and no. I mean, I, I think in the sense that, like— um, if you don't have Kavanaugh, you're in deep trouble. Um, but I mean, guys, the flip side is, right, that if you are, if, you're, if we look at the court as sort of a, of a holistically, and we look at the whole term, you know, from a, like, if the court splits the difference in the abortion cases, I actually think that buys room, right, for the conservatives to flex their muscles in other cases. Um, right, you know, to, to get a really strong six to three ruling in the New York gun case. Um, right to potentially get a six-three ruling in the Harvard affirmative action case if it gets up in time. Um, you know the. I mean, it's it's weird to think of this as like horse trading, but there's a degree to which you know we look at the court's terms as 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 singular entities. Um, and a term in which the court you know preserves Roe and strikes down SB8 even while tightening abortion access um, is what that headline is going to pull a lot of weight. Um, it, even if the rest of the high-profile important cases break uniformly right down those ideological lines.
1: And, and uh, Steve, this is the last question on abortion for me, but to make sure I'm clear, the, the Supreme Court is not considering anything to do with the enforcement of this, the, the public enforcement. It's, it's all about the, the, uh, the, the viability, right, the, the 15 weeks or the uh, six
0: weeks? So it's 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 a little tricky, Jason. The the providers' case, as opposed to the federal government's case, um, raises challenges to the enforcement scheme. Um, but they really are sort of secondary. And mm. and frankly, the Supreme Court, even if we assume that the court is going to take up both the providers' case and the federal government's case and argue them together with the Mississippi case, um, there are ways to duck that. Right? The like the court could sort of without blessing the enforcement scheme, Jason, the court could um, deprive it of efficacy in frustrating review. the court mm-hmm. right the court could say even though the Texas has done this to try to frustrate review, here's how we are provi- here's how we are able to review it. Um, and that would not be striking down the, the, the enforcement scheme. It would just be basically saying, yeah, you can do that, but that's not going to insulate the substantive law from challenge, hmm. which I think, you know, will take some of the sort of the, the, um, the teeth out of it. Right. Yeah. The sort of the purpose out of it. All right. So
2: a lot to talk about there with the abortion law here in Texas, uh, SB 8, and uh, the challenge uh, that the Supreme Court has now taken up, the challenge to that law. Uh, So there's still a lot more, though, that the court is going to be getting to a lot of other controversial issues this time, Jason. Uh, We're going to dive into those here in just a second. First, though, uh, we would like you, the listener, to take a quick listen to our sponsor.
1: We're back for Yolitics. here. We have Stephen Vladek on the line with us, uh, Whiteley and Wheeler here, um, talking about the Supreme Court and what all is going on. The, the, the term has just started the new term for the Supreme Court. And as it is considering a number of things, we spent the last uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so discussing abortion. But that's not all, Jason. Uh,
2: Steve, let's go to that uh, gun case that you were talking about uh, that comes out of New York. Uh, th- th- this one uh, might sound a little strange when people in Texas uh, hear about this, because basically that case is about um, people being required to get a license to carry concealed guns outside the home. Of course, here in Texas, that's you know been the law for a long time. Now you you know you don't even have to have a license. Does that have an effect here in Texas? Uh, if that gets a conservative ruling. Uh, I think people would tend to kind of put that out of their minds just because it is such a different climate here.
0: Yeah, you know, I I don't think it has a direct effect. I I think the the sort of the short version is um, that's a ruling that's going to have far more implications for what states can restrict um, in states that actually try to restrict these things. (laughs) Um, Right. But, But I do think, I mean, you know, it's one thing for folks like Governor Abbott An attorney general Paxton to get up on the hustings and say I'm protecting the Second Amendment um, and have nothing to cite to. Um, It's something else to say, and the Supreme Court agrees with me. Um, So, you know, I I don't think it's going to change the law on the ground here in Texas, frankly, one way or the other. Um, But I do think it has, you know, sort of broader optical implications for what kinds of for sort of sort of how broad the right is, and and therefore how justified. Um, Elected officials in Texas would be in taking even further steps to, you know, reduce still further what what restrictions are left. Hmm. Steve, the the, the other big case here that that,
1: uh, many people in Texas are watching is voting rights. Can can you lay out for our listeners what what's at stake here? And secondly, what what the what the argument is will be uh, before the justices
0: yeah i mean so you know the the court still hasn't put any of the big post 2020 um election cases on its docket but it's possible for example that the georgia case um could get there by the end of the term um so i think that's you know that's a question about whether um some of these you know election integrity measures right. that especially red states have adopted after an in response to the election are consistent with the federal voting rights act Um, And the federal government has taken the position in the Georgia case that they're not. Um, You know, we saw at the very end of last term, the Supreme Court actually weaken in some important respects, section two of the Voting Rights Act, the provision that these challenges are based on. Um, You know, I think it's gonna be, I I don't know that those cases are gonna get all the way up this term, Jason, but when they do, you know, that's the next frontier for voting rights, especially as it looks increasingly clear, like we're not going to get voting rights reform out of Congress. Steve,
2: I'm, I'm curious about that as to why that hasn't ended up on the docket. I know that this is a, a relatively new phenomenon that we're seeing sweeping across the country with these different state legislatures. Uh, but it just seems like such an issue of the time right now in front of us. Is this just because things move slowly when it comes to the Supreme Court or is this or is there another reason that they would maybe avoid that?
0: No, I mean, things move slowly when it comes to the Supreme Court. And, you know, in contrast to our discussion of the Texas abortion case, um, where what accelerated the process was the fight over whether to block the law or not, um, right? There, there haven't been injunctions to date against these new laws, um, which would speed up the process. So, so until and unless that happens, and it might yet, yeah, I mean, we might soon get you know, rulings in some of these cases where some of these laws are blocked by federal district judges. But until that happens, we're going to see the sort of the more, I don't want to say orderly, the the more deliberate um, and and oftentimes delayed um, process of litigation, which, you know, frankly, guys, it can take a case without any hustling, you know, two and a half, three years, right, to get from filing all the way to the Supreme Court.
1: It's unbelievable. Give us an idea of uh, the the federal government's on the defense for, for a lot of these big issues how stressed out is the Justice Department, President Biden's Justice Department right now?
0: Um, I, you know, I, I don't think that I, I don't think they're overtaxed from a resources perspective, Jason. I think it's just that there are a lot of fires to put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what one of the areas that we haven't talked about as much is, you know, all of these sort of burgeoning challenges to some of the COVID policies, um, especially mm-hmm. the, you know, the vaccination mandate that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration is in the process of, of, uh, unfolding. Um, you know, I, I think DOJ is always busy. Um, I think that the trickier part is sort of the top level policy decisions about where to prioritize. Um, and, you know, I think it's not for nothing that the federal government has expended a ton of resources um, on the Texas abortion case. Uh, right, that this is, you know, this is a case that DOJ did not have to bring, this is not an area where it's typically the federal government who's the plaintiff. And yet I think that this was a case where the the principle was too important to fight for wholly apart from the politics. I want to talk about something
2: extraordinary that we've seen over these past several months too, Steve, and that is we've had Supreme Court justices who have actually publicly talked about how the court is not a partisan animal. Uh, and yet a, a new Gallup poll uh, came out the other day. They've been tracking you know, the Supreme Court's approval ratings for the job that they're doing for you know, 20-something years now. That has hit a new low here in America now. 40% of Americans think that they're doing a good job there at the Supreme Court, That 60% uh, are, are not weighing in on the good side there. Uh, they found that the majority, less than a majority of Republicans, Democrats and independents are approving of what the court is doing right now uh, and that uh, trust has fallen in the judicial branch of the federal government in general. How uh, insidious can that be? I mean, that's a that's a big problem if, uh, you know, the majority of the country feels that
0: way. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of the, I think, the hardest things I find teaching constitutional law in law school, which is, you know, why do we follow the Supreme Court? Why why do, you know, the, why do the three of us sit around spending so much time talking about it? Right. And it's not because the Supreme Court has a police force. Um, right. It's not because they go out and, you know, beat down our doors if we don't listen to them. Right. We follow the Supreme Court because we believe that their decisions have legitimacy. And you know, I think the, the more that public confidence in the justices wanes, um, the more dangerous that is, um, because the more we risk a scenario where the court's gonna just sort of keep pushing away and alienating a large enough chunk of the population so that we stop listening to the Supreme Court. Um, and you know, there are probably some folks who are like, good, I don't wanna listen to the current Supreme Court. And I guess my reaction's a bit more circumspect which is, whatever you think of the current Supreme Court, you know, we might want, we, we might want a Supreme Court 10 years from now. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I think it's no coincidence that we've seen this, you know, trust us, we're not partisan hacks speaking tour. Um, but, but guys, look at the speaking tour itself, though. I mean, Justice Barrett gave the we're not partisan hacks speech, um, in an unrecorded speech to which the media were not invited at the Mitch McConnell Center with Mitch McConnell sitting right behind her. Um, you know, I, I could think of better places to give that speech. Mm. Um, Justice Alito, right, I think instead of, you know, I think defending um, more of the court's work on the so-called shadow docket with all of these emergency applications, spent much of his speech on the topic at Notre Dame Law School attacking its critics, um, including me. Um, mm. So, you know, I just I, I think the court's clearly aware of this from where I'm sitting, the way to assuage the concerns that are producing this polling is not through a speaking tour, um, right? It's through. It's the decisions are what's going to do the work, right? It's what what the court says through the things that matter, um, and that's why I sort of end where we started, which is like this term is a really big deal because, you know, if we look back in June and see just a complete wipeout along partisan lines, um, you know, I think that's only going to exacerbate those concerns. Whereas if we see a little bit of moderation, a little bit of compromise, a little bit of sort of hey, I wasn't expecting that. Um, you know, maybe we see the court um, at least abate right, its fall in, in popularity. Hmm.
1: So, so why, why do you think that the, the justices are, or some of the justices are on this PR tour then?
0: I, I, I mean, guys, they read the same polls we do. Um, and, hmm. and, you know, I think the, the one thing that's quite clear from all of these speeches is that they're reading their critics um and you know some of whom they're responding to directly and you know i, I that's that's healthy i think that's great um i just think that like, so I, I guess that it's not the speaking tour itself that i find awkward right it's it's what they're doing on it um what what they're saying and where they're saying it like if you want to convince us that you are you know principled jurists um you do that through principled jurisprudence Uh, You mentioned the shadow
2: docket. And so uh, I guess congratulations are in order here for the the new book that's going to be coming out called The Shadow Docket. I'll
0: get get Justice Alito to blurb it.
2: (laughs) You should, man, when he's on the speaking tour, making a book tour. (laughs) You know what? It might get mentioned uh, somewhere along the way there. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book and and why this is such an important issue as far as you're concerned and, and, you know, as far as the court's uh, credibility uh, goes as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the Supreme Court, but so much of that time we talk about like a handful of high profile merits cases, Um, the gun case, the abortion case, voting rights. And the reality is and has always been that the Supreme Court does so much more than the high profile cases and that a lot of the stuff the court does is if not formally, then at least practically invisible, right, to the public at large, Um, either because it comes down in these inscrutable orders or because it's hyper-technical in ways that are, you know, hard for non-lawyers to process. Um, And so, you know, my interest in, in what folks call the shadow docket is tied to that, right? It's tied to sort of helping everyone to see some of the major, major stuff the Supreme Court does that we tend not to pay attention to. Um, in choosing which cases to hear, which cases not to hear, in granting or denying stays, in, you know, enjoining state policies before a lawsuit even has time to process through the courts. Um, I, when I started working on the project, guys, I think this was uh, much more in the shadows. the The irony of all of this is that I think the the proliferation of these kinds of rulings has actually brought a lot more attention to them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Texas abortion ruling on September first, I think, was the first time a lot of folks, ever heard the term shadow docket. Hmm. So, you know, from the perspective of trying to ensure that the public sees the full field of what the Supreme Court's doing and not just the, you know, from 40 yard line to 40 yard line, um, that's, you know, that's a much broader goal of mine in which the shadow docket's just one
2: pretty important part. I know you've got the book coming out. You've got the National Security Law Podcast as well. Here you are on with us. I don't know where you're finding the time to do all of this. Uh, But somewhere in the middle of all of that, you also teach law there at the University of Texas. And I'm curious, you know, I I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, how it always seems crazy history does when you're living through it. Uh, And it seems like it's busier than it's ever been. But these days really do kind of seem that way. And I'm curious, you've taught for several years here you know you've you've put in some time has it changed have the you know have the have the issues changed have the students changed are they more engaged with what's going on it seems like we're uh, more educated we're hearing about shadow dockets uh, you
0: know lay people are learning about these things has that changed yes um unequivocally um i you know I, i've been teaching for 17 years and You know, there was interest in the mid 2000s in these issues, but it was mostly academic interest. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for better or for worse, there is a gravity to, you know, what for a long time were viewed as esoteric debates about the role of the Supreme Court, about the relationship between the branches of government, about executive power, about elections and voting rights. Um, There is a gravity to the moment we're in that I think even first year law students viscerally understand um, that. Has no comparison, guys. Since I've been doing this, mm-hmm. um, and you know, if we look at if we look at constitutional history, I think this is probably the first time we've seen this much constitutional tumult, um, really, since the 1930s mm-hmm. um, and wow. the the pretty profound shifts in our understanding of the Constitution the 1930s. The difference is that that came in a period of strong ideological homogeneity in the political branches, where you had large democratic majorities in both chambers of Congress, you had an incredibly popular democratic president, right? We have the sort of additional complication in this moment of an incredibly divisive and polarized um, political, political climate. Um, and I think that's the tricky part here because you know it's not gonna take much to push us pretty heavily in one direction or another.
1: Mm. Mm. I learned something every time I talk to you, Steve. Thanks for taking our call, man.
2: Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. So, you know, Jason, you know, at the very beginning of this, you were saying how we always love to hear from Steve Loddick because he's very good at distilling, breaking down, and explaining in lay terms for us lay people, uh, you know, some complex issues that are before the courts. You always feel smarter after you've talked to him. No doubt. But sometimes you feel a little more worried too, you know, and that last little bit there about just how divided this country is right now. Um, You know, when we look back at the arc of history, we're really divided right now. It's not just our imagination because we're living through it and you just wonder, you know, what's that going to look like as we go through this next Supreme court term and, you know, we get rulings on a lot of these issues that are dividing people. Does that get even, even worse?
1: Yeah, it, it, it almost makes you want to summon another beer out of the fridge. I mean, I, I hope our boss isn't still listening this far into the podcast, but uh, I might have to have another one after that. You know, you know, I've always wondered. Um, you and I are the same age, what three days apart? Um, but I always wonder: is, is is has it been worse in the last century than it is now, as far as the the division? And, and I want to I want to say it has been with the the racial strife of the '60s. Supreme Court had a, a number of, of landmark decisions in the 60s and 70s of course you and I were way too young to, to recognize uh those but I, I wonder kind of where this falls
2: in the arc of uh of American history the, I don't you know. know I think where about, we are right now you know yeah I think about that and you know there's uh, you, you think about the fights that went on you know before our time uh, in the 50s and 60s and all of that and uh, a lot of those fights though Jason are happening all over again now we've got You know, so much going on with the the push for equality and racial justice uh, all in at the same time that we're dealing with a pandemic, which, you know, we haven't had to deal with at any point in our lifetimes. Uh, And then at the same time, we've got all of this political strife that's going on. Uh, And, you know, in in none of those times, none of those times prior did we have cable news and Mm -hmm. social media and I think that that is amplifying so much of this division uh, that we see between people right now. And you just wonder, you know, does this keep spiraling? Does it get even worse? And you know, I hate to take us down that road uh, as we yeah. come to an end here.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely having another beer for that, man. But no, <laughs> you're exactly. I mean, I, I totally, I totally agree. I, I have I have plenty of friends who work in cable news, but cable news and social media, uh, and I would argue AM radio as well, yeah. has spun up. So many people, cable news, mm-hmm. obviously on both sides, and I, I will say, and I don't think many would disagree. I would say cable news has radicalized a number of people on both sides over the last twenty-five years. This has been in your face for twenty-five years, and it's not news. That's the thing; it's opinion.
2: Well, it's, I think it's that,
1: cable opinion shows.
2: I, I think even the bigger threat, though, is is social media because I can't tell you how many times I mean, I've tried to, you know, you try to talk to people, you know but they don't listen, but you see them post things. They post links to articles. And I always look at the source of that article and it's like one, two, three, ABC.com. So yeah, you know, and it's like, guys, that is not a real news outlet. And I, a lot of it comes from people who just don't realize they think that if something is published and they can read it, then it had yeah. to have been fact checking. It has to be true. It doesn't. So look for your sources, you know, and, and, Chances are, if you're only finding some crazy, salacious, wild headline in one place, and no one else is reporting on that, and it's from a source that probably no one else has heard of, chances are it's probably not true. Yeah,
0: oh, exactly.
1: There, there's a, a a little short little TikTok uh, that's out there that, that always cracks me up. It, it's a it's a woman probably in her mid thirties or so, and she says, you know, I, I'm I'm at the age now where if you think the sky is green. Congratulations you're right it, it totally is and then she walks out of off off screen uh, she's given up she's given up and and so many people have and yeah. you know we 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 both have people in our own families oh yeah that might hold just outrageous views oh, one side yeah. or the other. and you know, We're going to uh, get
2: to hear those soon for oh Thanksgiving.
1: Yay. I, I know, right? Maybe uh, it should be a Zoom Thanksgiving. We can put them on mute.
2: No, forget that. I'm just going to do Thanksgiving over my sink. <laughs>
1: you probably will, dude. I can't believe you, man. You're an animal. You're
2: an animal. <laughs> hey, I just saw you stuff your face on here. You're not far from me, okay? Yeah, You're I'm getting not stuffing- there.
1: They're not stopping it so much where I have to put it over the sink so I can catch all the uh, the things falling out. You're crazy. Dude.
2: Oh, I've got to change my ways. Well, uh,
1: yeah. Th- thanks so much for listening. I, I I learned a lot about the law and about Wheeler today in this episode. More than probably. you have probably ever wanted to know. Yeah, and we should all be thankful that he's not doing this podcast over a <laughs> sink. We'll see y'all next Tuesday. See y'all then.